Good morning. Today is Wednesday, July 13th, 2022. I hesitate to share this with you because it is inappropriate and probably offensive. And perhaps it is unsuitable uh, for this forum. But it is Torah, and it is important, and it is relevant. And it's based on an essay by Rav Yehuda Amital, a blessed memory. And it relates to the narrative at the very end of our Parsha Balak, a terrible, terrible event that occurs. Yeshev Yisrael Bashitim. Yisrael are dwelling in a place called Shitim. Remember, of course, this is near the end of the 40 years in the desert. This is close to the time of coming into the land of Israel. And the people began to act immorally with women from Moab. Moab, of course, is this nation on the eastern bank of the Jordan River. Today, it's part of Jordan. And there is this mass act of immorality between men of the Jewish people and women of Moab. And it gets worse. And these women entice the men to start to worship their idols. They were, the, the Moab was a pagan nation. They worshiped idols. And through this sexual immorality, uh, the Jewish people who were participating in this came to idolatry, to worshiping the idols that these women were worshiping. By Yochal Ha'am, there was a um, a, a, a feast, a, a bacchanal-type feast by Yishtachavu Lelohehen, and there were Jews who bowed down to these idols, such a terrible, terrible thing, by Yitzamed Yisrael Lebal Peor, and Jews at that time fell, fell and denigrated themselves by worshiping Peor, the name of one of the idols the, one of the idolatrous uh, pagan practices. We know about Peor from a number of different places in the Torah. And God's anger burned against those who had sinned among the Jewish people. It's a terrible, terrible sin, a terrible event. The Torah goes on to say that 24,000 people die in a plague as a result of these terrible sins. It was terrible, awful. What is this idol, Peor? Normally, we think of idols, idolatry. There's an idol, a statue. <coughs> and maybe you sacrifice to it. Maybe you pray to it. Maybe you offer offerings to it. I mean... Of course, it's all um, it's all false and it's all a terrible sin. Peor was worshipped in a very, very different way. It was worshipped 
And excuse me for saying this, but a person would take off their clothes and a person would um, defecate. I mean, there's no other way to say it. In front of this idol of Peor. And this disgusting act was the way that this idol was worshipped. So besides just being bizarre and, and disgusting, what is going on with this? And why is it that this particular idol arouses God's wrath, perhaps even more than other types of idolatry? So Rav Amital asks us to stand back for a moment. Let's leave aside what we think about the action of how it is worshipped. <coughs> Who would want to do such a thing? I mean, what kind of, what kind of following uh, would this attract? But let's just think about the ideology that is behind this. What, what's going on here philosophically? And what's going on here philosophically is uh, an approach to life that is still fashionable today. And it contains two elements. The first is that human beings should live and behave in our most natural state. And as a result of that, we should lose any feeling of shame or embarrassment under any circumstances. Those actions that would otherwise remove the distinction between humans and animals, those actions, in fact, should be praised and celebrated because, according to this ideology, there is no reason for a person to feel shame with any bodily function because natural is good. And it, in a certain sense, makes sense for a God-fearing nation. You look at God, and God creates a perfect world, perfect body, perfect natural world. So maybe that just means you should embrace nature just the way it is. You should flaunt whatever it is that is natural because that's the way God made it. And therefore, from this point of view, it is perfectly appropriate for this to become a type of worship. And viewed from such a perspective, Peor becomes actually articulate poetry, notwithstanding I mean, excuse me, just the smell and the sight of it. But in terms of a philosophical stance of saying everything is perfect. And so everything should be celebrated. Everything should be holy. A few years ago, there was a, a mini controversy in Jerusalem. You may have read about it. At the time, it didn't get so much attention. There is a woman. She lives in Belgium. 
And what she does is she travels to different places together with a photographer. And the photographer takes photographs of this woman in different locales. And the photographs of this woman, of this woman are with this woman not wearing any clothes. Now, she's done this in a number of places and then she um, exhibits these photos. She has a website where she exhibits these photos and there's actually a place in Belgium where she has exhibited uh, the photos as artistic photos. Um, she did it somewhere in Egypt and she was actually arrested. And then she came to Israel and somehow she managed to have access to one of the buildings or homes directly overlooking the Kotel. Uh, if you can imagine, I'm not saying this is where it was, but if you can imagine, if, if, if you know that space, like where, where Arsameach is, you know, those famous places that directly overlook the Kotel Plaza. So she is on the terrace of this place overlooking the Kotel and there is a photo of her and it's the backdrop is the Kotel and there is a photo of her with no clothing on. <clears throat> so people were kind of outraged by it holy place, which, which of course is, is the point of, of what she is doing. Um, she calls the photo, it's titled Road to Liberation. Now, <coughs> excuse me, she writes on her website that an introduction which is an expression of her philosophy. She writes that, I want you to understand what it is I'm trying to accomplish. This is my personal religion, she writes. It is my goal to take you with me to my own world. It is a place where people are part of nature itself, where they shouldn't be afraid to express who they really are. Basically, a naked form of freedom where masks are torn off and thrown into the ocean. I am perplexed, she wrote, with the fact that people who believe a God created our bodies could think that skin is offensive. And so she travels around the world, including Jerusalem, having photos of herself taken, wearing no clothes, in these very iconic uh, locations uh, to challenge people with her, what she refers to as her personal religion. Now, of course, skin is not offensive. That is correct. But her stance that everything that is natural should be celebrated all the time, under all circumstances and in all contexts, that is a stance that Judaism strenuously rejects. That is, in fact, the stance of Peor. 
The Torah begins with this theme. The theme between the tension of pure nature and shame or embarrassment or um, um, privacy in the fact that Adam and Chava, Adam and Eve, are at first not wearing clothes and they eat from the tree of knowledge and they recognize that they are not wearing clothes and they cover themselves and then ultimately God provides clothing for them. And according to Kabbalists, Jewish mysticism, this idea is central to all of creation. If you look at the word bereshit in the beginning, you can jumble the letters of the Hebrew word bereshit and you get yirei boshet, awareness or mindfulness of shame. Meaning, God's intention is the antithesis of unharnessed nature. It is man's job not to be merely part of nature, but to transcend it and to perfect it. Now, there have been others throughout history who have adopted aspects of this philosophy, even if not expressing it in the same way. There's a famous passage in the Medrash, a conversation between Turnus Rufus, who was a Roman ruler near the end of the Second Temple period, and Rabbi Akiva. And Turnus Rufus questions Rabbi Akiva about the practice that Jews have, the mitzvah, of brismila, of circumcision. And Turnus Rufus's question basically is, listen, if God creates a human body like this, why would you want to alter it? The way God has it born is perfect. Why would you want to do anything to, to alter it? And Rabbi Kiva answers with a famous metaphor. He says, um, well, God creates wheat. Wheat grows in the fields. And yet, wheat is useless until man comes along and harvests it, harvests it and mills it and bakes it into bread. So the world in its natural form is not in the form that God intends it to be. God created the world in an imperfect, unperfected form, leaving room for man to bring it closer to perfection. Flax grows from the ground naturally, but it is useless to human beings until man, until a human being takes the flax and prepares it into linen and weaves it into cloth that can be used. Without that human interaction, the flax by itself is useless. The same God who created the world also commanded human beings that the world's natural state is not always perfect or good and that it is left to man to perfect the world. And many of the mitzvot in the Torah, bris milah, the laws relating to modesty, and many, many others, are intended to give us ways to take the natural world and to elevate it, to help bring it closer to perfection. 
And this is a fundamental principle about our place in the world, our role in the world. Now, this rejection of the philosophy of Pa'or, again, which in its immediate application seems so bizarre, but actually, at least the philosophical underpinnings of it reverberate throughout history. They are included not only at the very beginning of the Torah, Bereshis, but also at the very end of the Torah. At the very end of the Torah, the Torah tells us, Vayikvar Oso, Moshe died and he was buried. And God buried him, Moshe, Begai, Be'eretz Moab, in a valley in the land of Moab, because that is just on the eastern bank of the Jordan River. Remember, Moshe dies before the Jewish people come into Israel, dies on the eastern, what is today Jordan, in a valley, Mul Beis Pa'or, opposite a temple of Pa'or. What a strange detail to identify Moshe's burial place as opposite or against an idolatrous temple. Why in the world would the Torah describe for us Moshe's burial location in that manner? But what Rav Amital suggests is the Torah is telling us that all of Moshe's life stands for the confrontation with Pa'or and its ideology. There is Moshe and the Torah, and there is opposite it, or against it, Pa'or and its temple. Moshe remains eternally poised against Pa'or. Rav Amital says, writes, one of the tenets of our Torah is that not everything that is natural is wholesome. Of course, sometimes it is, many times it is, but it depends on the context. It depends on the circumstances. The nature, the natural world must be elevated. It must be refined. It must be tamed in accordance with God's mitzvahs. And in effect, Rav Amital concludes, all of Torah is sandwiched between the beginning of the Torah, Bereshis, and the end of the Torah, Moshe's burial, between reminders of this value, that the world is created by God with potential. Just because it's natural does not automatically mean that it's holy. It's our job to take what is natural and to elevate it. My friends, I want to wish you a great day, and I look forward to seeing you soon in person.